0: Good morning. Good, morning. Good morning. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, as I said, we are diving back into the book of Acts. If you have not been around, um, we started Acts like last year and we have just gone chapter by chapter. We've had a little breaks here and there for different series and different um, events going on in the church and everything. And so I'm excited that we are going to finish um, the book of Acts and, and I love the book of Acts and, and I love mostly about it is that it's the only book in the Bible that doesn't have an ending. There, there's no epilogue. There's there's no like, OK, and then this, because I believe with all my heart that the book of Acts is still happening today. That it's the story of the church, it's the story of us, it's this never-ending story that began with Christ and his deeds and his sacrifice and his resurrection and now it bleeds on and continues on through us, his church, his people. And so it's a story that just keeps going on and on and on until God finally closes the book and says enough's enough and it's all done. And so that's what I've loved about this book, and I love about what we have gone through as we've looked at it. And we saw in the beginning, just a little review, we saw kind of the birth of the church, that Christ just basically said, all right, I've done what I need to do, now it's your turn. You're going to go and do this. And he hands it over to a bunch of people like me, which is crazy, which just seems like, God, you could have done this so much better if we were out of the way. But no, he hands it to us and says, now take the journey and keep the story going, keep the story going. And so we saw through Peter and through Pentecost and in the preaching and the power. And then all of a sudden, about halfway through the book of Acts, we get introduced to this guy named Paul that has a life-changing moment in Damascus where Jesus shows up. One of the greatest persecutors of the church at that time was Paul. And then God changes his life, changes his heart, changes his outlook, changes everything. And now the person that wrote most of this Bible that you're going to read this morning, most of the Bible you read every day in that New Testament is written by Paul. And so that's kind of where we're at in this story. We're at towards the end of it. We're at towards the the, um, the closing finale of with Paul's life and what's all going on. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Acts 21. If you don't have a Bible, we have them available all around the room. Grab one. If you don't have one with you, put your name in that. Take it. It's a gift from us. You can keep that. We'll get more. If you'd rather use an electronic device, I didn't put it up there this morning, but we have it. Uh, it says GBC Guest. You can sign in there. Just type in find more. All in lower caps. But as always and forever, that these are the only words that matter this morning. I mean, I I don't get to do this unless these words say I can do this. This is the only authority that we have to be a church for me to speak. And we stand upon these words as the ultimate truth and the measure of all truth. And so if you don't hear anything else, my prayer is that you hear these words. Because they're the ones that penetrate the heart. And so out of respect and out of acknowledgement of the authority of these words, I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with me as we read together this morning. In Acts 21, starting at verse 7, Dr. Luke writes this, he says, and when we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Telemachus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And after we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul replied, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for I'm already not only I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for this story that we are part of that continues to be lived out through us and all the churches God, may we be bearers of that story. God, may we be people that live out that story. God, may people be able to look at us and see the change and the difference that you've made in our lives, God. And may you use it to change everyone around us. Now, this morning, as, as we dive into your word, as we open it up and we read and then we study. God, I pray these words would be your words, not mine. God, hide me. Get me out of the way, Father, and you just speak. Father, I pray that you would just meet us all right where we're at. God, whatever's going on in our lives, whatever struggles or conflicts or any of it, God, that you would meet us right there and that, God, you would move us from there. Change us today. God, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to respond, and the courage to live this out, Father, that we would walk out these doors at different people, God, that we would walk out and we would be living this faith, we'd be living this story out in our lives every single day. So, Father, have your way. God, whatever needs to be dealt with this morning, let it be dealt with this morning. God, let us not leave here with any unfinished business, but, Father, just move and power. God, I pray revival, would break out amongst your people. God, in every church that is meeting this morning, all over the world, God, that revival would break out and that we would be the church. We would be your bride and people would know it and see the hope that you bring to us. And so God, just move and have your way this morning. And God, do it in such a way that you're the only one that can get credit. You're the only one that can get the glory. how we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, as I said, we're picking up the story kind of towards the end of this. There's only a few more chapters, and over the next couple of weeks, we are going to finish this, but we're focusing on Paul. And I love this because if you've been around on Sunday nights at all and been able to come, we've kind of looked at the last hours of Paul's life through his writings and everything and the things he was thinking and everything. And so the story, not to be kind of a spoiler or anything, ends with Paul really going to prison. And that's where he's going to end his life and and everything and finish up his life at at the end of this. But over the next couple of weeks, I just want us to really look at how Paul kind of faced this and did that. Because the truth is, man, Paul was on the road to trouble. You ever felt like that? Like the path I'm on is going to lead to something that I don't want. The path I'm on is going to lead to something that I don't want to deal with and, and face and everything. And Paul was on that and he knew that that was going on. Let's go back and just read that really again, once again, starting verse 7. Here's what's going on. Right before this, Paul is basically going on his farewell tour. He's going around to all the places that he's planted churches that he's invested in, and he's going around and he's greeting them because he knows he's headed to Jerusalem. And Paul in Jerusalem is known of one thing and one thing only. He was a traitor you got to remember, Paul was on the path to be a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was respected. He was the one they said, man, squelch this new movement, this this movement of the way, these followers (coughs) of of Jesus, squelch it, put it out. And then Paul became its loudest proponent. Paul became the guy that walked into synagogues and preached Jesus because he was so changed. He was so transformed. Have we ever seen that? Do we see that today? You know, I wonder about that, that if Jesus is actually and if we are following him with all that we are, if we truly follow through Jesus, shouldn't we be transforming the world around us, too? Shouldn't we really be on a road of trouble? Because, I mean, that's this world is going the opposite way that God's headed. And so we all really are on a road of trouble. And that's exactly what Paul knows this. And so he's going around. And before this, he went to Cyprus and he went to Syria and he went to Tyre and he went to all these places. And he's kind of on his farewell tour. And so he's getting this is at the end of his voyage before he gets to Jerusalem. So at verse seven, we pick up the story and it says, so when we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Telemus. Where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for the day. The next day we left and came to Caesarea where we entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And after we'd been there for seven days a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us took Paul's belt tied his own feet in hands and said this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him to not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul replied, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus since he would not be persuaded, we said no more, except the Lord's will be done. And so you get this picture that pretty much everywhere Paul's going, all these people that loved him, and he had invested in him for years and years and years. You got to understand, Paul like planted a church. He'd get it going. He'd stay like a year or two there. Then he'd go and plant another, but he'd always come back and visit. He would always come back and kind of just keep investing in him, investing in him. They're all sitting there like, Paul, please don't go. We need you here. That road leads to a lot of trouble. That road leads to a path that, man, we don't want you to go on. And so, and again, he's a traitor in Jerusalem. You imagine how mad the Pharisees are at Paul. They're the ones that gave him the letters in the first place to go to Damascus and say, round up all the Christians, get them, put them in prison. Let's squelch this from the beginning. And all of a sudden, Paul's the one like proclaiming Jesus like no one else. How angry they are. And so we see this. That he's headed, and he knows, and the very first thing we see is there's a vision of danger. You know, that's what says the, 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 the prophet Agnes. He says, listen, you know, he takes his own belt, ties it around his own wrist, and says, this is what's going to happen to you. This is what you have to look forward to. And, and I think so often we get this idea that our faith is a very safe faith. That Christianity is all about safety. Can I tell you, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where Jesus promises safety. You know that? I think our culture and in our part in the Western world, we've gotten so comfortable and we've had so much freedom. And praise God that we have the freedom to stand up, that I can get up on a Sunday morning. We can gather and sing and we can talk about Jesus and we're not worried about anybody busting down our door. Because there's a lot of places in the world where they're in hiding right now doing the same thing. There's a lot of places in the world where they have one Bible for 3,000 people. And they just share it page by page. Because if they're caught, they're going to prison. But I think the uh, bad thing about that freedom is it's made us lax. It's made us like, oh, we should just be able to sit here and just relax. Get a message. Real good. Maybe have some coffee. Have a little fellowship. It's Baptist. Is there potluck Sunday? Okay. And and let's go. But nowhere. Nowhere. Nowhere does it say it promises safety. In fact, I'm telling you, I believe it's all my heart. Following Jesus may be the most unsafe thing you can do, and it's only going to get harder. And and so we see that. And so it's not only that, but look, his friends come to him. These people that invested. I mean, Luke, one of the closest people that traveled with Paul, that was with Paul at the very end. They're pleading with him. Look, verse 12, when we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Have you ever had something where, like, you knew God was calling and all your friends are going, like, don't do that. (laughs) You're crazy. I remember when I first said, man, I'm going into ministry full time. And God, I don't know how this is going to look and everything. And we started ministry really when I was in the military. And my mom came up to me. My brother was in the military and when he was in the military, unfortunately he got addicted to drugs and everything in his life. It's just it's been hard ever since. And so I go to my mom and said, Mom, I just feel like God's calling me and my new wife and stuff that we're supposed to go in the military because he's going to reveal something over the next few years for us. And I just feel like that and, and just in tears she's like, Don't do it, don't do it. I mean, how hard is that? I'm a mama's boy, okay? I'm the youngest, the cutest, the smartest, and I'm just I, I'm a mama's boy. I love my mama. I love, I, to this day, it's yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, whatever you need, mama, I'll be there. Like I promised her when I was little, I'm going to get you a house with a rocking chair. And she calls me all the time and says, where's my rocking chair? I says, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> but she begged me. I was like, no, you know, mom, I got to do this because this is what God has called me to. That was hard. We got out of the military. and And... The, the original idea is that we were going back to Fort Stewart, Georgia, near Hinesville, Georgia. My parents and all my family sit over here in Plant City in Tampa. That's about a six-hour drive. I was like, great, we're going back to Georgia. I know all these people and everything. We feel like we're going into ministry, and and I'm going to go for the Southern Baptist Church. All my uncles are deacons. I had uncles like all the time saying, we'll get you in this church, we'll get you in that church. I'm like, I'm not sure. I want you to be my deacon. <laughs> That's going to be kind of nerve wracking. And all of a sudden I got orders for Colorado Springs, Colorado, thousands of miles away from home. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? And we felt a call in our lives to be missionaries, to go back overseas with all the grandkids and the babies and to live in Sicily for a couple of years. I remember going back to my mom and dad saying, listen, I love you. I'm going to take leave. We're going to come down. We're going to visit you for two weeks. But then we're getting on a plane. We're going back to Europe. Tears. I'm. And there's there's some Southern women. You are trained, trained in the gift of guilt. Because <laughs> my mama's good at it. She's like, I can't believe you're taking my babies and you're doing. All that. I mean, it was. It, there's 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 Baptist guilt. You know, there's preacher guilt, but then there's mama guilt, and they nothing is going to be that. But again, we had to say, Mom, this is what God has called us to. And I know that gets hard, and sometimes we feel that, don't we? That God's leading us some way, and it doesn't seem like anybody else is going that way. That doesn't mean don't go. Too many, too many great ministry opportunities do we lose. Too many blessings do we lose because because it looks hard. Or someone's saying, you really don't want to do that. See, I love because Paul, look what Paul says in verse 13. He says, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? This is killing me. You're hurting me. It says, but I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem, if that's what it takes, for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's faith. And can I tell you a little secret? There is no difference from Paul of the Bible than you and I. There's nothing special about Paul. He didn't have like a special anointing, special gifting also. I mean, God called him to a specific mission to be a, a witness to the Gentiles, to, to say, and thank God for that, or none of us would be here if it weren't for Paul. There wouldn't be a church. And Paul Paul did that, but man, that, that's a faith that we are called to. And it's there's I always It's so frustrating to me when I talk to people and we we open the word and we look at that and they're like, well, that was a hero of the faith. I can't be David. I can't do this. I can't do that. I mean, all these guys were were mess ups. Think about the people God used. Think about Moses murdered somebody. Abraham lied. He went into Egypt, looked at the Pharaoh and said, no, that's my sister, not my wife, (laughs) because he was afraid he was going to get killed. Look at David. David David slept with another woman. David murdered somebody to cover it up. I mean, going to the New Testament, look at Peter. How many times did he put his foot in his mouth and do stupid stuff? He denied Jesus. He even knew Jesus three times. Paul, the great persecutor of church. Look at his people. Let me say, have any raise a hand. Anybody murdered somebody? Anybody like stood out in front of a public square and said, I don't believe in God or I don't believe Jesus. I don't even know him or deny him. Anybody like have slept around and like covered up some horrible thing. You guys are better off than them. So for us to say like, well, I know God has a call and and everything, but everything, but I'm not like those people. Well, thank goodness. (laughs) That's what I love about the Bible. God airs his dirty laundry. God says, this is all the warts and everything with it, too. It's the only it's the only faith because every other faith, it's all the hero. It doesn't talk about the bad things that happen. And yet God's told, like, this is it, because we are on a road and a call. And Paul's like, man, I'm resolute. I'm going whether it costs me my life or not. And you and I are called to the same. So how do we get that faith? That's the real question. When how can we mimic how can we copy Paul's or when we know when we're looking down the road and saying this looks hard and this looks this looks dangerous and this looks scary or when it feels like I'm walking around in a desert and I'm dying of thirst. How do we hold that faith? And so this morning, really, what I want to tell you is that, first of all, we're going to have trouble. In fact, Jesus promises this in John 16 33. He says, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Isn't that good news? Listen, any preacher that stands up to you and says, Listen, you just come follow Jesus and everything's just going to be peachy and rosy and your life, you're going to get everything you want. You're going to get that house, that boat, and the perfect family, and all that. You grab the biggest Bible you can, King James Version, because they're heavier, and you throw it at them. Because that's a lie, because Jesus not only, he doesn't say, hey, you might have problems, you might struggle, you might have things. He says, you will have suffering in this world if you follow me. Because we are in a place, we are in a broken down world that is going as fast as it, way, as fast as it can away from God. We are fish swimming upstream, and it's hard. I experience that every single week at Universal when, like, all these people are trying to leave Universal because the parks have closed, and I've got to get someplace, and it's just a crowd of people, and you're like, "Excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, I'm a security officer, get out of my way." I mean, it's crazy, but that's every time I do that, I says, "Wow, this is just like real faith," <laughs> because that's what it's like on this planet. It is fallen. It is broken. Listen, stop looking at people that don't know Jesus and expect them to act like it. They don't know any better. And if you don't think our world is broken, just watch the news. What just happened again? Another mass shooting. This. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Listen, I, I think we can do this, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, gun control, new laws, all that thing isn't going to change anything in a broken world. The only thing that's going to change this world is the gospel. Amen. That's right. And us living like we're broken part that we're actually disciples so 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 how do we do this how do we get a faith that stands even in the deserts even when that road is hard even when everyone's telling us don't go that way how do we get through those struggles and the strain? i think there are three things three things that i want to i want to look at this morning the very first thing is i think christ has to be central in our life I think we make so many other things more important than Jesus, we don't even realize it. If we didn't, every church in this community would be full. With all the people that claim to follow Jesus, we we wouldn't see anybody missing Sundays. We wouldn't see anybody. Every person would be out sharing the gospel if we make Christ central. But we let so many other things kind of get in front of them. We, all, we place them, I don't think we even realize it. We just place them there and says, well, this is important. My, my retirement, <coughs> my vacation, my, my me time. You know, that's, that's always a good phrase. I need me time. I'm like, well, where are you when you're not with you? <laughs> I never understood that. My daughters always say this. Says, Dad, I just need some me time. I says, well, you're right there. <laughs> Unless you've got some kind of split personality that we need to go handle and take care of, you're with you. <laughs> I mean, we've made it all about us and everything, but the truth is is Christ has to be central. He has to be number one in every aspect of our life. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We live a faith that's a TV dinner faith. We have a compartment for every little item in our life. We have, there's my church life, there's my friend life, there's my work life, there's my social life, there's my money life, there's this. And we have nicely compartmentalized and made them all their little space. When God has called us to to a pot pie life where everything is all just mixed together. Everything is blended because he's in control of all of it. He becomes central. He becomes more important to me than my family, my job, my future, everything. He becomes the most important thing to me. That is the first step. Because you put anything in front of Jesus, you ain't going to make it. We don't use words nowadays like idolatry, but that's all it is. Let me tell you something. We have more idols today than they ever did back in Egypt. Because we put everything, and it's silly stuff. It's like, well, it's the Super Bowl Sunday. Really? (laughs) I've got this to do, and I've got that to do. And I just, we make a lot of idols we put in front of him. And that, And Paul understood that early on. Because look, look what he says back in Philippians 3. 8. He says more than that, I also consider everything, everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung. That's a nice way to say a bad thing. So that I may gain Christ. Paul said everything else is worthless outside of christ i'm not i'm not saying those things are bad family jobs all those things but i'm saying if they're more important than jesus they're an idol can i tell you something if someone asked my wife who loves you the most is does your husband love you the most are you number one in her life she will tell you for a fact and i says no actually jesus is more important to me you know why Because the more I love Jesus, the more I put him first, the better husband I can be to her. The better dad I can be and the better pastor I will ever be as long as Jesus is first. He has got to be central. And if you're struggling right now and you feel like you're in the desert and you're facing a hard road and you're like, I don't want to go down this. And I don't know if I can make it. I'm going to tell you the first thing you need to check is where's Jesus in the priority of your life. You know, I... Uh, I grew up playing football in the South. I had those crazy coaches that all said, I want 110% from you, 110%. And I was a smart Alex, says, Coach, that's mathematically impossible. <laughs> I only have 100%. And then I would run until I threw up. <laughs> I love it. God doesn't sit there and go, like, Hey, 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 I want 110%. He's not some insane football coach. He says, God just says, I want it all. But can I tell you, He's not really going to accept anything less. There's no gray area here, folks. Either I surrender and say, Jesus, you are sinner," And everything else revolves around you. Or I've replaced him and put something else that's more important. That is not a faith that's going to stand. So Christ has to be central. Second thing. Prayer is critical. Listen, I, I, if you're not a praying person, then you need to learn. You need to become a praying person. I, this, just, this confounds me. Like We were joking today. We're like, who wants to pray? Who wants to pray? I says, my life is a prayer. And I'm My life is a prayer. Have you driven on I-4 or 192 lately? <laughs> if you're not a praying person, it'll cause you to be a praying person. I've been in foxholes in the middle of places, people trying to kill me. I'm a praying person. My life is a prayer. Prayer is critical. And I don't understand when people say, well, I just I talk to God here and there, and that's good. How many of you, if you're married, get away with that at home? This year, we'll be married 30 years. Can you imagine if the moment she said, I do, I says, OK, I'm going to talk to you once a week <laughs> for about five minutes. And then leave me alone. I want to watch my football game. <laughs> we wouldn't have made it six months. I'd probably be dead right now. <laughs> and she'd be in prison because she did it. <laughs> I don't understand that. We know that every other every other relationship we have, we have to communicate. We have to talk. Why don't we treat God the same way? He already knows it. He just loves to hear from us. Isn't that awesome? The creator of the universe, the guy that holds it all together, says, come and tell me about it. And we can complain. We can argue. We can yell. We can be anything. We can bring everything to him. And he still says, there's enough of me to take it. God's never going to get God's never going to get over you if you're like, I'm mad at you right now. I'm mad at God at least once a week. And I tell him, people drive away from me and I for because I'm yelling at God in my car. (laughs) And he's like, are you done? Prayer is critical. We have this church doesn't exist unless a group of us got together and started walking around neighborhoods praying. And it will not exist if we stop praying. Prayer is critical, that communication. And, And Paul says that he says, rejoice always. First Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Prayer is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Get that in your heads and in your hearts. We make them center and then we talk to them about everything. It's gotta be prayer because listen, I don't I'm not gonna change one life. I know that. Not one person's gonna get saved because I'm a pastor. Because I didn't die on a cross. I didn't rise again. All I can do is just say, here's what God's doing in my heart, in my life. That's all I can do. And then God does the rest. I'm not, nothing's going to change because I show up here every single Sunday. What's going to change is when we just invoke God and we keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. Saying, God, do you understand that we can pray for things 10,000 miles away? We can pray for things a hundred years away. There are no limits to what we can do to pray. And the scariest thing our enemy, the devil, is afraid of is a church that starts praying. Because he can't do nothing about it. He can distract us. He can cause trials. He can do all stuff that God allows him. He can do all those things. He can't do anything about prayer. Do you understand the power of that? Do you understand that Jesus, God literally says, come to my throne. Climb up on my lap and tell me about it. You want to have a faith that can withstand anything? You need to be a praying, praying person. It's critical. And not, not only pray for ourselves, but do you ever notice Paul prayed for everyone and everything? Almost every book that he wrote, he says, and in everything I pray for you. I pray that you will know the depth and the greatness of god's love i'll hope that you'll have understanding all the time you hear paul praying for other people praying for other people we need to become a people that pray what god has put on our heart and we need to be a people that intercedes for all those people that don't know him yet we need to be praying for everything and everyone at all times i tell you that when we do that there's nothing this world can do nothing this world can do we need to be a praying person last thing Last thing this morning is obedience is crucial. Listen, it's easy to say I follow Jesus. It's a lot different thing to actually do it. Obedience is crucial. That's that's what God requires. Isn't that what he he told Saul back in the Old Testament? Saul did something God told him not to do. And he did anyway. He's like, "Oh, but I wanted to do this great sacrifice and have this great worship session for you." And every look at all the things that I got for you, God. And he says, "Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice." And because of that, Saul was no longer king; his days were numbered. It's the biggest problem in our churches with most of the pastors. Is that that's why so many fallen pastors? It's not it's not that the hard job so hard or anything. It's an obedience issue. It's like God, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it your way, not my way. By the way, that's the original sin. We looked at God and said, God, I can do it better than what you have planned. It was disobedience is what caused this world to be broken and fall. It was disobedience that caused Lucifer to fall because he thought, I have a better plan. I can do better than you, God. It was disobedience. that We are called to be obedient no matter what that looks like. And that's the scariest thing of all. This is what I'm starting to understand about faith more and more. The older I get and understand that faith is like walking through a curtain just to find another curtain. (laughs) Faith is one step of obedience led by another step of obedience. That's what it is. And every step I take, it gets closer and closer to me seeing God's face and being with him in glory and eternity. Could you imagine if God showed us the whole thing right at first? I promise you, I would not be a pastor today. (laughs) God, when I was 19 years old and felt God just saying, yes, I want you to go into youth ministry, I want you to do this, and it's going to be a strange path I take you through. And if he showed me all stuff that I had to go spend seven years in the Army, be shipped to a desert and be shot at, come out and have kids, get out of the Army, be missionaries over in Sicily where we had to raise money, come back and be a part of that, see an area that we had to kind of close for its own health, and then move over here and then move over here and then move over here. Do you think for an instant I'll say, oh, God, I want to do that. That looks fun. That is not the word I would describe this journey. But I would describe it as amazing. Because every time I take a step, God says, here's another step. Here's another step. It's obedience is crucial. Listen, this is what Paul said at the very end. I mean, will you and I be able to say this at the very end of his life when he's talking to Timothy, the guy, basically his spiritual son that he was working with. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Are you able to say I'm fighting the good fight? I'm going to finish the race God has laid out before me. That's obedience. And sometimes it's the thing we can do. Listen, I can make Jesus center. I can do that and say, God, you're center of my life. I can pray every single day. But if I'm not fleshing it out outside these walls on an everyday basis, then the rest of it's in vain do you understand that Jesus died and came and and, and when we accept him comes in to transform our lives completely that's why Paul talks about he says listen it's the new man the old is gone the new has come you're a whole new creation you are transformed which means everything is transformed the way I talk the way I see the and what I do everything is transformed and it infuriates me and it drives me crazy when I see people that claim to know Jesus and say I'm a follower of Jesus and they walk out these doors and I don't see jesus in them at all it's insane to me how it matters what you do and how you live and that's obedience it's not about just singing some songs on a sunday morning it's not about just writing a check and putting it in an offering box it's not about any of that it's being obedient every single day and finishing the race that god has set before me would you be able to say that i pray that i will That's a faith that can withstand any desert. I've made Jesus a sinner. He's number one. Nothing else to distract me. I talk to him. I pray about it. I give him everything that's on my heart and listen. And by the way, prayer, the other thing I said, it's not all talking. Sometimes we've got to shut up and listen, too. Too many times we just talk to God. Well, here's my list. Here's what I need. Here's what I need. Here's what I need. And can you do that? Thank you. Amen. Sometimes we got to just be quiet. That's what the psalmist says. He says, be still. Actually, the good translation is stop striving, stop fighting, and know that I'm God. Just sit down, hush. You know how many times with my kids, listen, I, w- I was in Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I had a full head of black hair. It was great. And I got back from Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I had a couple of gray hairs. My daughters became teenagers. It all went white. <laughs> There were so many times I just looked at him and says, would you just sit down and be quiet just for a second so I can tell you why I don't want you to die. <laughs> Sometimes we just got to be quiet and then finally just obedience, whatever that looks like. <coughs> and there's so many areas in that. There's, there's tithing. Do I trust God with my bank account? Am I going to do my finances God's way and say, hey, listen, God, wow, you let me keep 90%. Because all of it's yours anyway, and so I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do that. It's like I'm going to share the gospel every chance. I'm going to live. We just spent six weeks talking about that. I am made for a mission. I have a message that I have to tell. I'm going to go out and tell my neighbors. I'm going to tell my coworkers. I'm going to live in such a way that, God, you've placed me here to further your kingdom, not mine. In everything I do. I'm going to show up. I'm going to make church a priority. I'm going to make my faith a priority. I want people to see Jesus in me. By the way I live. Not just the things I say. And showing up on a Sunday. And the songs I sing. But by the way I live. You want a faith that stands. Against the world that is rallying against it. Make him sinner. Pray. And be obedient. No matter what it costs. We're coming up on Easter. There's no greater picture of obedience than Jesus Christ. We're so petty that we think like, oh, this may cost me a friendship. This may cost me a job promotion. This may cost me this or some uncomfortability. If you ever think what it cost you, I challenge you. You look at the cross and see what it cost him. It'll change your perspective. Listen, a faith that stands is a faith that moves towards Jesus. I used to believe, like, there's some people, well, you can just stand still and you're stagnant in faith. I don't believe that anymore. I think either we're moving forward or we're moving backward. Either we're moving towards God or we're moving away from God. Those are the only options. And a faith that stands, a faith that is Christ-centric, that is praying, that is obedient, is always moving towards Jesus. That's how Paul lived his life. In fact, that's what he said in Philippians three thirteen and fourteen. He says, "Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to taking hold of it. I don't. I don't even." dare to claim that i know all this and that i'm the perfect christian and i've got it all figured out as your pastor i'm telling you i struggle with this on a weekly basis i struggle with sharing my faith i struggle with getting up and hanging time and praying i struggle with being obedient i struggle with these things just like you i don't consider myself to taking hold of anything but one thing i do forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead i pursue as my goal the prize promised by god's heavenly call in christ jesus If I do nothing else every single day, I'm going to take one step forward. That's all you're called to do. Some days it may be two. Most days it's one. It is always moving forward. Listen, this is why I'll never be satisfied. There can be 10,000 people here this morning. And I will still not be satisfied because there's still 20,000 people that I haven't heard about Jesus right around the corner. We will always move forward because that's what faith demands. It's always a step forward. I know sometimes it's hard. We get knocked down and we, we're like, oh, yeah. But the great thing is, is Jesus is always right there. Always right there. You know, I wouldn't do this, but Hebrews, I just want to read this to you. you. don't You don't have to turn. Come here, come here, come here. Such thin pages. Here. Hebrews twelve. I love this. Hebrews twelve, one. It says, therefore, since we have such a great since we also have such a large cloud of witness surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance. Let us lay aside every I'm sorry, I'm really excited. Let us lay aside every hindrance, this, that's the sin that so easily us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God has called us to run and move forward and, and, and in this, and this race and this beautiful thing, but the cool thing is Jesus is at that starting line with us. He's like, are you ready? When we make that decision, he's like, you ready? Let's go. Let's go. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the race, we're running, and we're like, I'm really so tired. And he's like, oh, keep going. He's right there. And the best thing on us, at the end of it all, he's at the finish line saying, come on home. You never run alone. You're never in this faith by yourself. Jesus says, I am always with you. I will always be with you. Nothing will ever change that. And so we can run this race, and we can do this race, and we can keep going and going and going and going Because we have a faith that stands when we make him central. When we make him all about him. John Newton says this. Hopefully it's going to change. Go ahead and flip it for me. It says faith. There we go. Faith upholds a Christian under all trials by assuring him that every painful dispensation is under the direction of his Lord. Faith upholds a Christian under all trials by assuring him that every painful dispensation is under the direction of his Lord. God's got it all for you. No matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, God is in control. Jesus is right there. And if we are a people that say, you know what, Jesus is your center, I'm going to be praying, I'm going to be talking, and I'm going to be obedient. It doesn't matter what we face, no matter how painful it is, it's his plan. It's his plan, and it will all work out for his glory. And I ask you this morning, very very simply how's your faith going are you facing trial or are you facing all kinds of struggle and, and 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 crazy stuff have you made Jesus Center are you talking to him and praying every day are you being obedient no matter what it costs because that's a faith, that's a faith that's going to change every That's a faith that can face anything. That's a faith that will lead us home and keep us part of this never ending story. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning.